Section 5 of Octavius by Minucius Felix, translated by John Henry Fries. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 27 now these unclean spirits the demons as the magi and philosophers have shown conceal themselves in statues and consecrated images and by their spiritual influence acquire the authority of a present divinity at one time they inspire the soothsayers at another take up their abode in the temples sometimes animate the fibres of the victim's entrails direct the flight of birds control the lots compose oracles enveloped in a mist of untruth for they both deceive and are deceived being ignorant of the pure truth to their own destruction they are afraid to confess that which they do know thus they weigh down men's minds and draw them from heaven call them away from the true god to material things disturb their lives and trouble their sleep stealthily creeping into men's bodies thanks to their rarefied and subtle nature they counterfeit diseases terrify the imagination rack the limbs to compel men to worship them then sated with the fumes from the altars and the slaughter of beasts they undo what they have tied themselves so as to appear to have effected a cure they are also responsible for the madmen whom you see running out into the streets themselves soothsayers of a kind but without a temple raging ranting whirling round in the dance there is the same demoniacal possession but the object of the frenzy is different similarly they are the origin of such stories as you recently mentioned jupiter's demand and a dream for the renewal of his games the appearance of castor and pollux on horseback to all these things as most of you are aware the demons themselves plead guilty when they are driven out of our bodies by the compelling force of our words and the fervour of our speech saturn serapis jupiter and whatsoever demons you worship when overcome by pain confess what they are they certainly would not lie and bring disgrace upon themselves especially when any of you were present you may believe their own testimony that they are demons when they confess the truth about themselves for when adjured by the only true god against their will poor wretches they quake with fear in men's bodies and either come forth at once or gradually disappear according as the faith of the sufferer assists or the grace of the healer inspires thus they avoid the company of christians whom they formerly attacked from a distance in their meetings with your assistance again since it is natural to hate those whom you fear and if possible to assail those whom you hate they make their way into the minds of the ignorant and implant hatred of us secretly by the agency of fear thus they take possession of men's souls and block up their hearts so that they may begin to hate us before they know us for they are afraid that when they do know us they may either be inclined to imitate us or at least unable to condemn us chapter twenty eight how unfair it is to pass judgment as you do upon what is unknown and unexamined you can judge it from our own confession for we were once the same as you blind and ignorant our opinions were once the same as yours we believed that the christians worshipped monsters ate the flesh of infants and practised incest at their feasts we did not understand that these tales were always being spread abroad by the demons without examination or proof we did not remember that during all this time no one came forward to betray the secret although he would not only have been forgiven but also rewarded for his information christian is so far from being an evil that its followers when accused show neither shame nor fear 
their one regret is that they have not become Christians sooner. We, however, when undertaking the defense and advocacy of certain sacrilegious and incestuous persons, even of parasites, did not think that Christians ought to be given a hearing at all. Sometimes, out of pity for them, we treated them with even greater cruelty, torturing them to force them to deny their faith, so as to save their lives. In their case, the practice of torture was reversed. It was employed not to elicit the truth, but to compel people to lie. If any one, weaker than his neighbors, crushed and overwhelmed by suffering, abjured his faith, we looked upon him with favor, as if in renouncing the name he had atoned for all his crimes. Do you understand that we once thought and acted as you do now? Whereas, if reason and not the prompting of a demon had controlled our decision, Christians should rather have been forced not to disavow their faith, but to confess their incests, their sinful rites, their sacrifice of children. It is with these and such like fables that these same demons have filled the ears of the ignorant to our prejudice to excite horror and indignation against us. And no wonder, since rumor, which ever feeds on the lies that are spread about but is put to an end by the manifestation of the truth, is equally the work of demons, it is they who propagate and keep alive false reports. This is the origin of the story which you say you have heard, our deification of an ass's head. Who would be so foolish as to worship such a thing, or even still more foolish and believe it, except yourselves, who keep whole asses as sacred in your stables together with your or their opponent, and piously decorate them in company with Isis, who sacrifice oxen and sheep and worship their heads, and set up as gods beings half-goats, half-men, or with dogs and lions' faces. Do you not, like the Egyptians, worship and feed the bull Apis? Nor do you condemn their rites instituted in honor of serpents, crocodiles, and other beasts, birds and fishes, the penalty for killing any one of which gods is death. Again, like these same Egyptians, you are guilty of certain shameful acts of which you accuse us. These and the like infamous practices we may not even hear described. Many of us think it a disgrace to speak of them, even in our own defense. You falsely allege that acts are committed by modest, clean-living persons, such as we should deem incredible, if your own acts did not demonstrate their possibility. Chapter 29 As to the worship of a criminal and his cross, with which you charge our religion, you are far from the truth in thinking either that a criminal deserved or that a mortal had the power to be believed to be a god. Truly, the man deserves pity who rests all his hopes on a mere mortal, with whose death all his power of rendering assistance is at an end. The Egyptians certainly select one of themselves as an object of worship, court his favor alone, consult him about everything, sacrifice victims to him. But this man, whom others regard as a god, is certainly only a man in his own eyes, whether he will or no. For even if he can dupe another person's conscience, he cannot deceive his own. Even kings and princes are not only hailed as great and elect, names to which they have a right, but are falsely called gods by disgraceful flatterers, whereas honor would be the truest homage to a famous man and affection the most agreeable tribute that could be offered to the worthiest. Thus they invoke the godhead of these men, offer up supplication at their images, implore the aid of their genius, that is, their demon, and it is more dangerous to swear falsely by the genius of the emperor than by that of Jupiter. We neither worship crosses nor wish for them. Certainly you, who consecrate gods of wood, 
may perhaps worship wooden crosses as parts of your gods for what are your standards banners and ensigns but gilded and decorated crosses your trophies of victory not only present the appearance of a simple cross but also that of one crucified certainly we see the sign of the cross represented in a natural manner on a ship when it rides over the waves with swelling sails or glides along gently with outspread oars again when a yoke is set up it is like the sign of the cross and in like manner when a man with outstretched hands worships god with a pure heart thus there is either some natural explanation of the sign of the cross or it embodies the form of your religion chapter thirty i should like to meet the man who says or believes that initiation into christianity is accompanied by the murder of an infant and the drinking of its blood do you think it possible that so tender so small a body could receive such fatal wounds that any one could have the heart to kill one just born hardly entered upon life and shed and drink its fresh young blood no one can believe this unless he himself were capable of doing so i see your newly-born sons exposed by you to wild beasts and birds of prey or cruelly strangled to death there are also women among you who by taking certain drugs destroy the beginnings of the future human being while it is still in the womb and are guilty of infanticide before they are mothers these practices have certainly come down to you from your gods for saturn did not expose his children but devoured them not without reason therefore in certain parts of africa children were sacrificed to him by their parents their cries being stifled with kisses and caresses to prevent the sacrifice of a victim in tears the taurians of pontus and the egyptian king bucyrus were in the habit of sacrificing strangers the gauls offered human or rather inhuman victims to mercury the romans buried alive a greek and gallic man and woman by way of sacrifice and even at the present day the worship of jupiter latiaris is accompanied by homicide and as is worthy of the son of saturn he battens on the blood of the evildoer and the criminal i believe that it was he who inspired catiline to enter into a league of blood with the conspirators that it was due to him that the rites of bologna were steeped in draughts of human gore and that human blood was used to cure epilepsy a remedy worse than the disease such people resemble those who devour wild beasts from the arena smeared and stained with blood or fattened with the limbs and entrails of men we are not allowed either to see or hear of homicide and we are so averse from bloodshed that we even abstain from the blood of those animals which serve us for food chapter thirty one the story of our incestuous banquet is a monstrous lie invented by a league of demons to injure us in order that our reputation for chastity might be sullied by charges of infamous and disgusting practices and that before they had learnt the truth men might be driven to shun us owing to the terror inspired by unutterable suggestions thus also your friend fronto has not given evidence as one who affirms a thing but a scattered abuse broadcast like a public speaker for such practices rather originated amongst people like yourselves in persia a man is allowed to marry his mother in egypt and athens his sister your histories and tragedies which you eagerly read and listen to treat incest as something to be proud of hence it is that you worship incestuous gods united to mother daughter and sister not without reason then is incest often detected amongst you but always permitted we on the other hand show our modesty not only outwardly but inwardly we willingly cleave to one marriage tie in the desire to have children we have only one wife or else none 
our banquets are conducted not only with modesty but also with sobriety we indulge in no luxurious feasts nor spin out our meals in drinking but temper our gaiety with seriousness our language is pure our body even more so and most of us practise perpetual virginity without boasting of it so far from our having any desire for incest even a chaste and legitimate union calls forth a blush of shame nor again are we composed of the lowest dregs of the people even if we refuse your offices and dignities nor do we belong to any faction if we recognize only one virtue and are as quiet when assembled together as by ourselves nor are we talkative in corners if you are either ashamed or afraid to listen to us in public the fact that our number is increasing daily is no proof of error but evidence of merit for when men live an honourable life their own friends remain constant and are joined by others lastly we easily recognize each other not by external marks as you imagine but by the stamp of innocence and modesty we love one another which annoys you since we do not know how to hate we call ourselves brethren which excites your ill-will as being children of one and the same father god as showing the same faith as co-heirs of the same hope whereas you on the contrary do not recognize each other give way to outbursts of mutual hatred and only acknowledge any ties of brotherhood when leagued together for murder chapter thirty two further do you think that we wish to conceal the objects of our worship because we have neither temples nor altars by what image am i to represent god since rightly considered man himself is the image of god what temple am i to erect to him since the whole of this world which has been fashioned by him is unable to contain him am i to confine such might and majesty within the limits of a small temple while i myself a mere man have a more spacious dwelling-place is not the mind a better place of dedication the heart a better place for his consecration am i to offer to god the sacrifices and victims which he has provided for our use and reject his gifts this would be ungrateful since the most acceptable sacrifice is a good heart a clean spirit therefore the man who practises innocence offers prayer to god he who practises justice offers libation to him he who abstains from wrong-doing propitiates him the man who rescues another from danger sacrifices the most excellent victim these are our sacrifices these are our rights he who is most just amongst us is the most religious but you say we neither see nor show to others the god whom we worship this is just the reason why we believe in him although we cannot see him we feel that he exists in his works and in all the changes of the universe we behold his ever-present influence when it thunders and lightens when the thunderbolt falls when the sky is clear you need not wonder if you do not see god the wind and blasts drive shake and agitate everything but the wind and blasts are not visible to us again we cannot even look into the sun which is the origin of our vision our powers of sight are impaired by its rays our eyes are weakened by gazing at it and if we look at it too long we are unable to see at all could you endure the sight of the creator of the sun himself the source of light you who turn away from his lightnings and hide yourself from his thunderbolts do you expect to look upon god with the eyes of the flesh when you can neither behold nor grasp your own soul by which you are quickened and speak but again you say god is ignorant of man's actions he who is seated in heaven can neither visit all nor know each one you are wrong o man you are mistaken god is everywhere near since all things in heaven and earth and all things outside the limits of the world are full of him 
he is everywhere not only near us but everywhere within us look again at the sun although stationary in heaven its light is shed over every land present everywhere alike it mingles with all and its brightness is never dimmed god the creator and examiner of all things from whom nothing can be hid must with far greater reason be present in the darkness be present in our thoughts which are as it were a second darkness we not only act under his inspection but i had almost said live with him chapter thirty three and let us not flatter ourselves as to our numbers to ourselves we seem many but to god very few we separate peoples and nations god looks upon the entire world as one family kings learn the condition of their empire from various official reports of ministers but god has no need of such information we live not only under his eyes but in his bosom in the case of the jews you assert that their worship of only one god with altars and temples and the most scrupulous observances profited them nothing it would show ignorance and be a great mistake on your part either having forgotten or never having known their past to remember only their present history for they too had learnt to know our god for he is the god of all and as long as they worshipped him with a pure heart in innocence and piety as long as they obeyed his salutary precepts their numbers at first few increased enormously once poor they became rich once slaves they became kings few in numbers and unarmed they overwhelmed armed hosts and pursued them as they fled at the bidding of god and with the assistance of the elements read their writings again either passing over ancient authors the works of flavius josephus or if you prefer romans consult the remarks of antonius julianus on the jews you will find that their ill fortune was due to their own perversity that nothing happened to them which had not been foretold as the consequence of persisting in their obstinacy thus you will understand that they deserted god before they were deserted by him that they have not been taken captive with their god as you impiously put it but have been handed over by god as deserters from his teaching to the mercy of their enemies End of section five.